This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. a small island off the coast of Alaska. It's like a bastion of rock that's been thrust up against the sprawling feral power of the North Pacific Ocean. Everything about this island speaks of wildness in the purest, most eloquent sense of the word. As I look off toward the west, there's the whole expanse of the North Pacific Ocean, brilliant blue under a clear summer sky fretted with whitecaps from the late afternoon breeze. Maybe you can hear the slosh and hiss of the surge on the rocks down below me. Off toward the east, when I turn the other direction, tall mountains forested along their lower slopes, snowy and rocky on the upper slopes, great velvety green expanses of alpine tundra off there in the distance. What a place to be. Well, this place is wild indeed, and if one thing epitomizes that wildness, it's a bird I'm watching right now, the peregrine falcon. This is an exquisitely beautiful predatory animal, distinguished above everything else by its blinding speed. In fact, the peregrine falcon is faster than any other animal living on Earth. And I'm having a chance to watch it right now in action. That bird was perched in the top of a tree and it's just come soaring down. What is going on here? Comes sailing out from the tree. Oh yeah, there's a bald eagle drifting by. This peregrine falcon has taken exception to it being here. Listen to this. Ah, he is really upset, veering back and forth right above that bald eagle. The eagle is trying to dodge a little bit. As the peregrine dive bombs straight down toward that eagle, the peregrine is so much faster than the eagle. There's absolutely no match here. The eagle now, oh, brilliant white head, white tail, black body. The eagle, so much bigger than that falcon turns off and soars away along the cliff just below me, and the falcon now turns back, sailing right underneath me right now, and along the cliffside and, and continues on to where I can see the cliff face thrusting out toward the ocean, and right there it turns because straight down below it, this is the male peregrine falcon, straight down below it, on a little ledge that's mostly concealed by grass is its mate, the female on her nest. I think they probably have small chicks in there right now, judging especially by how intense their defense of this place is. Our male now turns back, lands in the top of a great big spruce tree with bare branches shining in the sun. And on the very topmost branch now, that peregrine settles, now folds its wings in, looking to the right, looking now to the left, now peering straight down at me. I'm somewhat concealed. I've got myself down under another big spruce tree, 30 yards away from the base of the tree that that bird is in. 
and we're across a very, very steep ravine that cuts into the cliff of this island. Now, when I look down from where I'm standing, man, I'll tell you, it puts butterflies in my stomach. I am straight above the ocean, 100 or 150 feet down. I can see right down into the clear blue water. In fact, just a little bit ago, a sea lion came torpedoing along through this water, would alternately come up and blow spray into the air as it breathed, and then down again, and it would course along the base of the cliff here, and then finally disappeared around the edge of the cliff. It's gone now. There's been a seal down here hunting for the little minnowy fish that are in tremendous abundance. I can see them glittering down there right now. And then off in the distance, a little group of maybe 30 tufted puffins there drifting on the water, black bodies, white heads, some pigeon guillemots, and a few gulls scattered among them three pelagic cormorants flying by. They're related to pelicans, pretty good-sized birds, black, flying along. A lot of life going on here on this island right now. It's part of the Alaska Maritime Wildlife Refuge, and it harbors a tremendous number of nesting birds, land birds and seabirds, during the summer. This island is a few hundred yards long. It's about 50 yards wide at its widest point. Much of it sheer rock cliffs like the one that I'm standing on right now. But toward the eastern end of the island, it sort of lays down much lower. Beautiful place to be on this summer afternoon. The top of this island is lavishly covered with dense forests, these great big spruce trees, salmonberry bushes, grassy areas, very, very rich place because the soil is so fertile from thousands and thousands of generations of nesting seabirds. And you can hear in the background right now, fox sparrows singing. There are lots of land birds here. Winter wrens, orange-crowned warblers, song sparrows, crows, lots of ravens. Everybody comes to this place to nest and to savor the fecundity of summer. There are also fishing boats that pass by here. There are a few of them anchored for the evening down here. They're just off the trolling grounds. Beautiful boats all weather veined into the northwesterly wind this afternoon. Well, some years ago, coming back to the Peregrine Falcon, I was trekking across a boggy meadow about two miles away from where I'm standing right now. It was another calm, bright day, and I was immersed in that almost preternatural silence that you can only find in really wild places. And as I was walking along, I heard something strange. I stopped. It was a faint hiss, and I realized hey, that's coming from someplace way up in the air above me. The sound very quickly intensified. I thought maybe that's some kind of an airplane that's in a steep dive. Maybe it's a very rapidly approaching jet. But then, just by luck, I happened to pick out a tiny black crescent, scimitar-shaped, plunging down from the sky at incredible speed. I immediately realized, hey, that is a peregrine falcon in a tremendous nearly vertical dive. The sound of that bird rose to something between a hiss and a roar. I just don't have a word to describe what that sounded like. I never would have imagined that any bird could make such an intense and seething sound. It seemed as if it filled the air all around me, as if it came from everywhere at once. Within a few seconds, that diving peregrine 
vanished behind a wall of tall trees, and I could only then imagine the hawk maybe colliding with its prey, the sudden explosion of feathers as it hit into a bird, perhaps instantly killed it, then the hawk laboring back toward a ledge on this very island, carrying a small seabird in its talons. As our male peregrine falcon must be doing each day now to feed its mate the female on her nest on that grassy ledge about a third of the way down the cliff below the tree where he's sitting right now. Now that female, I can barely see her kind of moving, fluttering her wings a little bit. She's just at the edge where the cliff bends around out of sight. I've managed to find a really good spot where I can barely pick out that nest, mostly concealed by grass. Well, the peregrine falcon has fascinated humankind and has captivated our attention for thousands of years. In fact, people in Central Asia started to capture and train peregrine falcons about 3,000 years ago. They used the falcon as a unique kind of hunting tool because that bird would go out, capture wild birds, and bring them back to the trainer, and then the trainer would take that bird home for food. But of course, even though they were actually using the peregrine in that very practical way as a hunting tool. They must have been equally drawn by a desire to watch this amazing predator in action. The peregrine falcon is to the sky what the cheetah is to the land. That lanky, sinewy cat that sprints across the African savanna at speeds approaching 70 miles an hour. Well, that's pretty darn fast. But the peregrine falcon is incomparably faster. In its great dives, which are called stoops in birding language, the peregrine falcon reaches speeds of about 200 miles per hour. And again, that's the fastest of any animal on earth. Probably more than anything else, this is what intrigues us about the peregrine falcon. There's no better example of a passionate pursuit of peregrine falcons than that of a writer named John A. Baker. He spent 10 years obsessively following and watching these birds near his home in the English countryside. His book, which is titled simply The Peregrine, is the best descriptive writing that I have ever come across. Here's what Baker writes. The peregrine fears nothing he can see clearly and far off. Approach him across open ground with a steady, unfaltering movement. Let your shape grow in size, but do not alter its outline. Never hide yourself unless concealment is complete. Be alone. Shun the furtive oddity of man. Learn to fear. To share fear is the greatest bond of all. The hunter must become the thing he hunts. What is, is now. Must have the quivering intensity of an arrow thudding into a tree. Yesterday is dim and monochrome. A week ago, you were not born. Persist, endure, follow, watch. Time is measured by a clock of blood. Well, it was Baker's book and this amazing prose, more than anything else, that fired my own desire to see peregrine falcons. And I've been lucky enough to live on the coast of Alaska, where peregrines live nearly all year round. The peregrine falcon is a pretty good-sized hawk. They have a wingspan just over three feet long. 
So it's somewhere between the size of the crows that are hollering in the background and the ravens that also frequent this island. Like many hawks, the female peregrine is larger than the male. Now the back and wings, as our hawk now facing his back toward me for a moment, the back and the wings are a dark bluish gray color. The belly and the chest of the peregrine are almost white colored with dark spots or streaks, almost sometimes a rusty color in there. The head is very distinctive on a peregrine falcon, dark on top like a helmet and white underneath and unique to the peregrine, broad black comma-shaped slashes running down each cheek. Very, very different looking bird. The peregrine falcon's entire body is a perfectly honed flying instrument of the hunt. It's key to the pursuit of other birds. The streamlined body that tapers from the broad chest back to a narrow wedge-shaped tail. Huge chest muscles on this bird for quick, powerful, tireless flight. And very large, golden-colored feet with long talons that are used to pierce and slash and grab its prey. Peregrines also have remarkable vision, huge round staring eyes with enormous black pupils. If a human's eyes were proportionately as large as those of the peregrine falcon, a 170 pound person's eyes would measure three inches across and they'd weigh four pounds. Those eyes give the hawk incredible long distance vision, about eight times better than ours. They're also very well adapted to seeing in the dim light of dusk and dawn when the hawk often hunts. As this peregrine looks down at me right now, I just wonder what can it see? Maybe it can see the color of the flecks in the iris of my eyes. Maybe it can see the diameter of my pupils. Well, as we saw a little bit ago, as that peregrine was chasing the bald eagle, these birds are incredibly fast and agile. They have to be. Sometimes they can chase down in a straight line very quick small birds, like maybe the sparrows, perhaps the oyster catchers that are hollering in the distance right now. But for bigger birds, it climbs far up above its prey, maybe even a half mile, making use of that incredible eyesight. Then it folds its wings and it plunges down at blinding speed so that it can strike the prey bird with tremendous force. And when it does that, it slashes with the long hind toe that has sharply curved razor-like claw. Sometimes they'll kill a bird instantly that way, or the bird maybe falls to the ground, still alive, the peregrine lands, and very quickly kills it with its hooked beak. Now the upper bill of a peregrine falcon has a tooth-like projection back a little bit from the pointed end of the beak. That projection fits into a notch in the lower bill, and it can be inserted into the neck vertebrae of prey and then twisted to snap the spinal cord. This way, the peregrine falcon is able to take birds up to twice its own weight. And then there's also the peregrine's mind. These birds are born with an imperative to hunt. Here's John A. Baker again from his book, The Peregrine, writing about these birds hunting in the British farmlands where he lives. Hunting is always preceded by some form of play. The hawk may faint at partridges, harass jackdaws or lapwings, skirmish with crows. Sometimes without warning, he will suddenly kill. Afterwards, he seems baffled by what he's done, and he may leave the kill where it fell and return to it later when he's genuinely hunting. 
Even when he is hungry, he may sit beside his prey for 10 to 15 minutes before starting to feed. In these cases, the dead bird is usually unmarked, and the hawk seems puzzled by it. He nuzzles it idly with his bill. When blood flows, he feeds at once. Peregrines hunt many kinds of birds. It just depends on what kind of prey lives around them. Here on this island, in the Alaska Maritime Wildlife Refuge, seabirds like puffins and murres, gulls, kittiwakes, terns, shorebirds, and of course, all kinds of smaller birds. Interestingly, peregrines have also adapted very well to cities like New York City, where they'll often eat pigeons and starlings that are so common in that environment, along with songbirds and whatever other species of birds are available to them. I remember once a few years ago, probably five miles from where I'm standing right now in a little cove, I heard something very strange. I was with friends on a big sailboat and we said, what is that odd raspy noise? Well, went up on deck and there was a kingfisher diving down underwater and then bobbing up and the instant it broke the surface, it would start this frantic calling and then we noticed just above it, fluttering and hovering, was a peregrine falcon. Whenever that kingfisher would come up, the peregrine would drop down and try to grab it. The kingfisher would dive again. Each time it came up, that kingfisher was a little bit closer to shore. Eventually, that kingfisher popped up out of the water and managed to beeline straight into the crevices between some rocks along the shoreline, and the peregrine didn't get it. What was interesting during all that was how desperately we all wanted that kingfisher to escape, even though, of course, the predator has to kill in order to eat, and even though, in this case, the kingfisher itself is a predator on fish. Somehow, we forget, even though all of us, including we ourselves, only survive by eating other living things. Life is only borrowed from other life. Well, the peregrine falcon is pretty darn good at what it does, and that explains why it's one of the most widespread birds in the world, although never common anywhere. Peregrines are found on every continent except Antarctica. Originally, peregrine falcons were widespread in Europe, in Asia, in Africa, in South America, in Australia, and they once lived almost everywhere in the United States and Canada and Mexico. Now their populations have dwindled in many parts of the world. Luckily, peregrine falcons are still found throughout the entire state of Alaska. They're especially common in summer along the river bluffs and cliffs of interior and Arctic Alaska, where they nest and raise their young. And they also live here along the coast of the North Pacific and farther north, the Bering Sea coast of Alaska. They like to hunt in open places, broad river valleys, tundra, meadows, and a place like this, the seacoast, where our peregrine has just now launched out, apparently agitated about something, maybe there's another eagle in sight, sails out over a couple of fishing boats that are anchored here, swings back around, jinking flight, very, very quick wing beats, and sails up and lands right up in the top of that tree again. Such powerful, seemingly effortless flight. Peregrines from the northern parts of Alaska make tremendous migrations. In fact, the name peregrine comes from the Latin word peregrinus, which means wanderer or stranger. Interestingly, peregrines that nest the farthest north tend to go the farthest south for winter. For example, tagged peregrines that nested on the north slope of Alaska, clear up in the Arctic, spent their winter on the grasslands of Chile and Argentina. 
That's a round trip of about 17,000 miles. It's one of the longest migrations of any bird in the world. Biologists attached little tiny radio transmitters to peregrines that were nesting along the Sugavagnitur River on the north slope of Alaska, and then they tracked those birds following the crest of the Rocky Mountains down to the southern United States. And from there, they either continued down through the mainland of Mexico to South America, or they turned east, followed the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, and then flew across the Gulf of Mexico to South America. Amazing migration to their wintering grounds. But interestingly, peregrines living in places like this along the Alaska coast usually stay put. And that's probably because they've got plenty of food here all year round. There's no need for these birds to migrate. Peregrine falcons from Alaska usually return to exactly the same river bluff or cliff each year to raise their young. On one island off the coast of England, successive pairs of peregrine falcons have nested in exactly the same spot for over 700 years. The male usually arrives at the nesting place first and he waits here for the female. When she shows up, he does spectacular aerial dives and displays and calls to court his mate. Now, peregrine falcons never build a nest. Here in Alaska, they usually just nest on ledges like the one right out here on the cliff where our female is sitting. A little bit of grass around, but no real nest that she has built. Maybe on a steep riverbank, just a bare place where they scrape away the dirt and the vegetation. And of course, nowadays around cities, they'll often nest on the ledges of tall buildings, towers, or bridges. Near the village of Koktovik, up on the Arctic coast of Alaska, I saw a peregrine nest with a bird on it making a heck of a ruckus when I walked near it on a steel framework of a great big radar dish at one of the old dew-line sites. The female peregrine incubates three or four eggs, and the job of the male, like ours sitting up here in the tree right now, is to go out and kill birds and bring them back to feed the mother and the chicks. They're very defensive, as we've heard, constant, agitated, raspy cries if anything dangerous comes close to the nest. And here on this island, it's the bald eagle. There's the possibility that a bald eagle would dive down onto these peregrines' nest and snatch away their chicks. Peregrines are sensitive around people. They will sometimes abandon their nest if people bother them too often. That's why I've got myself semi-hidden down here among the salmon berries and the boughs of the spruce trees to keep myself somewhat out of sight from this bird. But in some places, in order to succeed, they have to get used to people. So in a city with the constant coming and going of people, they simply learn to ignore it. Well, the whole nesting process for our peregrines here is going to take about two months. And when the birds get bigger, start to leave the nest, the parents may fly down past their young with prey in their talons, and the young ones try to grab the little prey bird in midair. Well, they better learn fast because it's a perilous world out there for young peregrine falcons. Many of them die in their first year. If they survive, they'll often come back to nest within a few miles of their birthplace. It's quite likely that these two peregrines here nesting now on this island on the Alaska coast were born and raised here themselves. Beginning in the 1940s, something started to happen to peregrines. Populations of these birds all around the world suddenly and steeply began to decline. In the eastern U.S., 
peregrines were almost extinct by the 1960s. In the western U.S., populations dropped 80 to 90 percent. Even in Alaska, up in the interior and in the Arctic, peregrines became scarce by the 1970s. The only population of peregrine falcons that remained stable in North America were the ones living here along the Pacific coast of Alaska and adjacent Canada. Now, nobody understood what was happening. Why are the peregrines disappearing like this? Until biologists began to find very high concentrations of DDT and other pesticides in peregrines and in other birds of prey. These toxins accumulated in the tissues of birds that ate seeds or insects that were contaminated by pesticides. The contaminants then became increasingly concentrated at each level of the food chain. So the bigger bird that ate the small bird got more of it. The next bigger bird that ate that bird got even more. It's a process called bioaccumulation. So the birds higher up in the food chain accumulate more toxins than the birds lower down. Those chemicals either killed adult peregrine falcons or the eggs they laid had thin shells that broke under the parent or that simply didn't hatch at all. Peregrines in places like the Alaskan and Canadian Arctic, even those birds, picked up chemicals by eating birds on their southern wintering grounds in the mainland U.S. or Mexico or South America. And even in the far north of Alaska, during the summertime, they were also eating migratory birds that were carrying those toxic chemicals all over the world in their bodies. Well, the United States listed the peregrine as an endangered species in 1970, but around the same time, the U.S. began to curtail the use of DDT and other pesticides. Special programs were set up to save the peregrine from extinction. They were raising these birds in captivity, releasing them all around the country. Many of those birds were released in cities where they adapted well to the canyon walls of the big buildings and the abundant prey, those pigeons and starlings. Alaska's coastal peregrines never declined because they don't migrate and because they mostly eat non-migratory birds. And so they didn't get so much of those toxic chemicals into their bodies. Luckily, once those deadly pesticides were reduced in the lower 48 states and farther south, peregrines living and nesting during the summertime in Arctic and interior Alaska, their populations recovered on their own. The peregrine falcon has become a symbol for the success of conservation. Two things save these birds from becoming extinct in most of North America. One, the Endangered Species Acts of the United States and Canada that gave strict legal protection to these birds and also added protection to their habitats. And number two, the laws reducing the amount of toxic chemicals in the environment. However, DDT and other toxic pesticides are still being used in many Latin American countries where some peregrines and their prey spend the winter. And in some countries, peregrine chicks are stolen from their nests and sold to falconers. And unfortunately, in many parts of the world, people often shoot any hawk they see. Well, that used to be true in the United States too, but attitudes toward all kinds of predators have changed dramatically in this country. Predatory animals like hawks and eagles, wolves and mountain lions, animals that were once hated and disparaged are now revered and protected. Hundreds of thousands of tourists come to Alaska every year hoping to see the wild animals that live here, especially the intense, powerful, elusive predators. Many people consider them the rare diamonds in our living world. These birds like the peregrine 
still perching in the tree, looking down here against that blue sky. What a thing to see. Oh, our peregrine right now, launching out from the tree, soaring down. Listen to it. There's a bald eagle out there passing by, and our peregrine is absolutely not going to put up with it. The female on the nest also raising a bit of a ruckus. Oh, the male diving down right on top of that bald eagle. Whoa, amazing. The eagle tries to flip upside down, tries to grab the peregrine. Now the eagle kind of veers away and sails out down along the cliff, getting away from this place as quickly as possible, and our peregrine turning around, coming back, raining above this whole place, flicking and jinking on the wind, crying from the cliff sides, rending the air with the roar and hiss of its wings. The peregrine falcon, what an incredible thing to see. Well, I'm going to sit here in my little cliffside perch for another hour or two and see what happens with this falcon and the other birds that live in this place. For Encounters, I'm Richard Nelson. I want to thank you so much for your good company, and I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute and KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited and produced by Lisa Bush, special consulting from Ken Fate, theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation and by the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, the North Pacific Research Board, and Robert Osborne, Jerry Tone, Martha Wyckoff, and Sue Cohn. For more information about the show and to hear podcasts, go to EncountersNorth.org.